From India's largest newsroom, I'm Meenal Baghel and this is the Times of India podcast. Based upon the information that we have, particularly from South Africa, um, they have advised WHO that this variant should be classified as a variant of concern. So today we are announcing B11529 as a variant of concern named Omicron. The emergence of the highly mutated Omicron variant underlines just how perilous and precarious our situation is. South Africa and Botswana should be thanked for detecting, sequencing, and reporting this variant, not penalized. With the looming threat of a more infectious, more deadly variant, India readies its action plan. The municipal corporation. Just as things look to be getting back to normal after two years of the pandemic, doctors in South Africa alerted the world to a new variant of the coronavirus called Omicron. The World Health Organization has already warned that the heavily mutated virus is highly transmissible and many countries have stopped flights from South Africa and other red zone countries. But other than that, there is little that we know about Omicron, its effect on vaccinated people and its ability to cause serious disease. My colleague Rema Nagrajan, who reports on issues of public health, speaks to one of India's foremost virologists, Dr. Shahid Jamil, to better understand what the implications of a new mutation of the virus can be. Dr. Jamil was formerly head of the scientific advisory group to INSECOG, the Indian SARS-CoV-2 Genomics Consortia. He is at present in London, where he says, masks in public have become mandatory once again, but other than that, everything has opened up. We have to be alert, says Dr. Jamil, but not paranoid. How worried should we be about uh, Omicron, uh, Dr. Jamil? And uh, what do we know about it so far? Well, let's say that we should uh, be cautious about it. Uh, We should not worry ourselves sick over it. Uh, Because what we know at this point is, is very little. Much of what you see is speculation. What we know is that it is spreading quickly, so it may be more transmissible. Uh, But then the numbers of cases are still low. Uh, So, you know, when people say that in the last one week it has gone up by 10%, uh, 90 cases, 200 cases is 10%. Uh, So it depends on what your denominator is. Uh, so for any variant, any variant virus, we should ask three things. One is, is it more transmissible? Uh, so the answer is, at this point, it does appear that it is quite transmissible, at least as transmissible as Delta. Uh, I don't subscribe to the view that it is six times more transmissible than Delta, which media outlets have reported. There is no evidence for that. The second thing you should ask is, does it cause more severe disease? Now, there is no evidence that it causes more severe disease. In fact, it's too early to say that. Early reports uh, based on interviews that the head of the South African Medical Association has given suggest that infection in people so far has been mild. 
But then how it plays out in different age groups, in different population groups remains to be seen. And the third thing one should ask is, will it uh, cause infection and more important severe disease in people who have pre-existing immunity? meaning those who have been vaccinated or those who have had prior infection. And it's too early to say anything about that. Laboratory tests are going on and we should know the results over the next one to two weeks, at least from the laboratory-based studies, whether present vaccines will neutralize this virus well or not. And if it doesn't neutralize it well, uh, at what level it neutralizes. So my hunch is that uh, the effectiveness of vaccines will go down a bit, but vaccines will not become useless. Uh, so that's the fact that we know at this point of time. Anything beyond this is pure speculation. We had just started opening up, the schools have opened up. Uh, right. And uh, does this uh, new variant, would that mean that we go back to a shutdown, uh, you know, stop travel, uh, or, you know, close down our cinema halls, malls. No, there is, there is no evidence. There is no data at this point to, to suggest anything like that. Look, the fact is that after our second wave, sixty-seven percent of Indians had antibodies, and by that time, only about five percent, maybe ten percent, Indians had any vaccine. So, majority of people had been exposed. If you look at recent zero surveys, if you look at uh, Delhi, 97% of people in Delhi have antibodies. Your own paper reported that. Uh, if you look at Mumbai, again, 85, 90% people have antibodies. I was speaking to a colleague today from Haryana and he said in Kurukshetra, they did a study, 80 plus percent people have antibodies. All this is telling you that our second wave was so huge that many more people got infected than we can imagine. But it's a blessing in disguise because those people will be protected from severe disease. They may again get infected. And even vaccinated people you know, tend to get reinfected, but then the disease is very mild. So I don't think we should do any of that, but we should exercise caution, we should, continue to use masks in public transport, in closed spaces, all of that. As far as schools are concerned, it's very important that adults in school settings are fully vaccinated. We know for this virus that children have very mild diseases. And it's not that during the, you know, all this time when the schools were shut, if you look at the data, it really shows that children got as much infected as adults. So these children are not getting infected in school settings. They're getting infected in home settings. So why all this worry about sending children to school? What they're actually missing on is much more. They're missing education. Poorer kids are missing midday meals, nutrition. All of that is happening. Let's open schools. Let's be cautious, but let's not panic. Uh, but do we need to be worried because India hasn't managed to vaccinate uh, a large percentage of our population? Like you said, yes, we have uh, high antibody prevalence, but those vaccinated is not very high, fully vaccinated. 
Does that mean that they are more vulnerable or the semi-vaccinated are more vulnerable, the ones who have had only one dose? Well, if somebody has not been exposed to the virus, meaning infected even though asymptomatic or mild, and this person has not also been vaccinated, then they should be vaccinated. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, as a public policy angle, uh, uh, I think the top of my list as a response to this would be to give as many people vaccine doses as possible and as quickly as possible. So maybe one thing we could consider is reducing the time gap between the two doses for Covishield from the current 16 weeks to 12 weeks or 14 weeks. Again, data has shown that anything above 12 weeks gives better efficacy. And since vaccine availability is no longer a problem, bring it down from 16 weeks to 12 weeks. That way, in a limited period of time, you'll get many more people partially or fully vaccinated. Uh, large parts of the world uh, are not able to vaccinate because they haven't been able to access vaccines. And that has happened because a lot of countries, uh, especially, uh, you know, the Western democracies, they have hoarded their vaccines. Uh, and, you know, they've already on to their third dose, uh, while, you know, large parts of the world hasn't even had its first shot. Uh, so isn't Omicron, in a sense, an indictment of uh, that sort of voting that we have seen? Well, the WHO has been saying for a while that, uh, you know, uh, unless everyone is safe, no one is safe. And this is this is an example of that. Africa has less than 5% people fully vaccinated. Uh, so while it's, uh, you know, uh, global media is jumping and, and saying that, well, it emerged from Africa. Uh, well, yes, in a, in a sense, uh, that should have been expected, uh, that the virus is there, you're not vaccinating enough. So I think it's a wake-up call for all of us. Uh, and I'm very pleased to see that India has resumed export of its vaccines, uh, both to the COVAX program as well as to commercial, uh, uh, through commercial agreements. And hopefully that will help vaccinate uh, lower and middle income countries much better than what we have. Uh, but yes, vaccination needs to be done in, in places uh, where it's, uh, it's low. And uh, variants don't surface among the vaccinated? Well, variants can develop among the vaccinated as well if their immune system has... Uh, has given them weaker protection. Uh, but, you know, every variant uh, is not necessarily bad. A variant simply means that the virus has changed. But the virus may, may change and still be neutralizable by the existing immunity. Uh, also, you know, the only mutants that we we see only variants that we see are the ones that have some selective advantage. The ones that don't disappear, you never see them. So it's it's an observational bias, so to say. Uh, so viruses will continue to mutate and RNA viruses mutate quite, quite a bit. But again, there, there is a limited mutational space in every virus. It cannot 
just keep on mutating endlessly because ultimately it will affect the virus itself. And one possibility for this virus is that if, if initial uh, uh, observations are correct, then it may be transmitting better, but it's causing very mild disease, which is telling us that the virus uh, is changing towards becoming a common cold virus, becoming endemic. So if, if something spreads better, but doesn't cause much disease, you don't care about it. You don't care as long as you don't get disease. We see yeah, this but, happening all the time with flu viruses. We see it happening with common cold coronaviruses. So maybe this virus is, this is a blessing in disguise. Virus is going towards becoming endemic. We don't know that. We don't know. And plus, uh, last time we had a more transmitting uh, virus with greater powers of transmission, Delta, it wasn't so good for us. Uh, it wasn't because very few people had vaccines or exposure to the virus. Today, if Delhi is 97% exposed, then those people will be protected to various degrees. Uh, so there is a difference between March and April in India and November in India. Very, very different scenario. Would this virus be detectable by the same test we are, that we are doing, that we are using RT-PCR, rapid antigen? There are some RT-PCR tests which uh, test for a particular region of the spike gene. And if there are mutations in that region, then it may turn out to be negative. But an RT-PCR test always uses at least two or three targets in the virus genome. So even if a spike is negative, and another gene comes positive, then you call it a positive. In fact, that's a surrogate test that South Africans have used because the, the PCR test they were using, they were seeing something called a S-gene uh, target, uh, S gene target deletion, which means that the other genes were being detected, S was not being detected. And then they went on and sequenced all those samples where this was happening. And 77 out of 77 of those samples showed Omicron. So that is also being used as a surrogate test. I believe India largely uses test systems that will pick this in the Omicron as well, the S gene. So South Africa, of course, has done a brilliant job of uh, sequencing as well as, you know, alerting the world early enough. Yes. But we saw that, you know, uh, India hadn't managed that when it came to Delta. And uh, there is also th uh, the accusation that China hadn't warned the world early enough. So is there a need to do much more in terms of genome sequencing? Um, and also... What's the incentive for any country to actually report after the way South Africa was treated uh, once it reported uh, this new variant? South Africa should be commended for what they did. They released results very quickly to the world so that the world can come to grips with it. You know, the virus may have been first reported from South Africa, but there's no evidence that it, that it you know, first emerged from South Africa. Virus can emerge from anywhere. About all we can do is to report it to the world as quickly as we can. Uh, and they have done a commendable job uh, of this and must 
they should be appreciated. They should not be stigmatized. Uh, so definitely. And, uh, you know, I think India is doing enough sequencing, at least at that time, India was doing enough sequencing. India did pick up both the precursor to the Delta variant as well as the Delta variant in time. It's just that things moved a bit slow at that time. And uh, we've all learned our lessons. Okay, so there could be more lethal variants which could come up, I mean, uh, technically. Well, lethal, I'm not too sure because now, uh, you know, at least in India, uh, there is enough exposure to the virus. Uh, so lethal, I'm not sure, but maybe more transmissible. Uh, but we have to continue to be on alert uh, without being paranoid about it. From all that you're saying, we are not looking at a, a repeat of a Christmas where it's all shut down. Everything is shut down and uh, things are at a standstill, are we? No, I mean, I'm in UK now and everything is open here. All they have done is to convert their indoor and public transport mask request to requirement. That's one thing they have done. And the other thing they have done is to uh, say that anyone coming from outside the UK will have to take a PCR test within two days. And till the results come, uh, we'll have to isolate themselves. So that's about all that has happened here. So isolate at home or? Uh, isolate at home, isolate at home. Unless you come from a red zone country, which is, you know, now they have placed eight countries in, in Southern Africa in the red zone. So people from those countries uh, will have to isolate in, in a hotel. And uh, Dr. Jamil, you talked about masks. I mean, many countries are talking about one, making it mandatory, and uh, two, uh, improving the quality of the mask that people have to use. Um, like, you know, I mean, there are a lot of uh, people are saying that we should stop cloth masks altogether and insist that people shift to, uh, you know, FP3 or uh, N95 or whatever. Is that is that possible? Is that feasible? The, the fact is that you can have an N95 or N99 or whatever, but if you're not wearing your mask properly, then it's of no use. But if you if you have a cloth mask and you're wearing a cloth mask properly, then that gives you protection from aerosols. That's what you want to protect yourself from. I mean, the virus being airborne doesn't mean that the virus is, is floating around. Uh, uh, you know, in the in the in the air, and you have to filter that. Is the virus is carried in in uh, droplets, uh, so you have to protect yourself from that. And cloth masks are just good enough for that. They are okay. easy to make. They are cheap. Everyone can use them. But the the thing is, you have to wear them properly. That's all. Today's episode is produced by Arun George and Sunai Marathi. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We are available on TUI+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, reach us at tuipodcasts at timesinternet.in.